Hi there, Molly. Good morning Hello. to you. <laughs> good, morning. good evening. Good morning. <laughs> oh, good evening for us here. Yes, it's almost seven o'clock, seven fifteen or so. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so I just want to introduce myself first. The company I work for. I'm Nadia. Nadia from ZenOnco.io and Love Heals Cancer. We guide cancer patients on adopting an integrative oncology treatment approach. We help them find the right balance between mainstream treatment and complementary treatment approaches. And we help patients with our team of oncologists, nutritionists, I mean, healthcare experts. Everybody comes together on this platform to give as much as they can for cancer, right? And the, the best outcome for the patient is sought after, right? So uh, we also help in connecting patients with other cancer warriors like yourself. I wouldn't even call you a survivor. You're a warrior. <laughs> so who have gone through um, this journey and, you know, address all of their queries. And we would love to hear what they have to say. We would love to hear those inspirational stories, the journeys that you all have been through, because nothing else would motivate us than to hear it from the horse's mouth. So I'm leaving the podium to you. You can take it further, ma'am. Sure. Yeah, I found the same thing. Um, I love my medical team because they're wonderful. They'll answer every medical question I have and give me any feedback. But there's nothing quite like having another patient's perspective because right. there's nothing quite like knowing what to expect. Because, you know, as much as your medical team knows, they don't still don't necessarily know what it's like to feel. Um, what cancer feels like, what this treatment feels like, what chemo feels like, what radiation feels like, what, um, seizures. You know, I, I have uh, brain cancer and I didn't know anything about it before my uh, diagnosis. And it was quite startling, you know. You're just, then you're just another, just another patient, I guess. Yeah. 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 My, I'm lucky because my team is just so interactive. I feel like I have a family that's, which is, bizarre because most cancer patients I know don't have that same that is feeling. Amazing. It's like for me, that I have a family that I am so lucky to be able to rely on. Um, it's in Henry Ford hospital in uh, Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love them like family, but you still, they, they, they can tell you what they know. They can give you some feedback but they don't know what it's like to actually be in that place. So I got active right away wanting to know. Um, I went to cancer support meetings at the hospital, hmm. but I also got involved with something very similar to it sounds like what you guys have, which is Immerman Angels. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So I got I quickly got involved, so, which they matched me with someone approximately my age, general region, same general region of the brain, same type of tumor. because you know, like I have anaplastic gastrocytoma. That's mm -hmm. not the same as having um, a pendymoma and it's, or it's not the same as having even glioblastoma. I mean, it's pretty close to a glioblastoma, yeah, but, but it's, it's not, not there it. yet. It's not. Yes. It, yeah. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, I like how you put that. <laughs> not yet. Soon, maybe. Um, but it's funny how, you know, and I, from Immerman Angels, I got involved on their board. And then I got involved with Henry Ford's involved with Head for the Cure, those 5K races that support money and um, support ho the hospitals that do a lot of research and whatnot. Um, I do those. I support those. I'm a 
ambassador for that organization. And then I, I get involved with the Gilda's clubs here. And then I get involved with the NBTS and their trips to Washington, D.C. to talk to um, uh, congressmen. And I got involved with, I think, the, uh, the American Brain Tumor Association in Chicago. Right. And you meet so many people. So like, I, I remember getting diagnosed and I didn't know anyone. And then all of a sudden, I feel like brain cancer is just the most popular cancer out there, which we all know is not true. It's pretty rare. I but get what me, you're I saying. Like I, there's I like a what... thousand of those people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a billion of those people. But there's really not that many. But I feel like I know everyone. <laughs> so it's, it's a really cool club, um, except nobody wants to be in it. <laughs> okay, you can say that. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, when I was first diagnosed, though, like I thought, I mean, I I was healthy. You know, that was the hardest thing. It's a really hard thing. Like I thought I was one of those jerk jerky people, like that thought that oh well, you won't get cancer if you're healthy. If you eat right and you exercise, you're not going to get cancer. I thought I was too good to get cancer. I mean, haven't um, we all been there where life just proves you wrong? It just yeah. proves well, I didn't you wrong. <laughs> There's certain, in, in certain generational groups, like my family, that I'm, I'm the youngest in my family by a lot. Like I was a whoops. My family, my family <laughs> thought they were done. My kid, their kids were almost off to college. Um, I was not even one years old when my sister graduated from high school, was on to college, my oldest sister. Um, I came along, my parents um, were older. I, most people in their generation and older, like don't, they don't talk about illness. They don't, so I didn't There's know. A I had, There's a stigma. Yeah, they don't talk about it. And I had no, and we, I had no idea that I had like a direct family line that had brain tumors, which I know they're, they're saying isn't necessarily gen, like a genetic thing with, with some exceptions, but they will ask me and I'm like, well, it turns out I haven't, my dad's mom had a brain tumor. Her sister had a brain tumor. Their nephew had glioblastoma. And we don't know how far back because I'm sure generations ago, people didn't even know they had brain tumors until they were crashing their car or falling off a bench or something. Yeah. But I, I, I had symptoms. They think mine was very slow growing and hmm. progressed slowly over time, which allows me to be as chatty as I am and <laughs> I have my brain has made substitutions that um is very uncommon um just because most tumors like if you have GBM it's moving fast so a lot of people who have a tumor in the general region mine was they're having major aphasia um mm. have a struggle talking and finding words um bad memory. Um, I do have a lot of those problems, but they're much more subtle. Yeah. And the aphasia doesn't really show up until I'm overtired. Mm -hmm. um, and I find good word substitutions most of the time, but they say it's because it was so slow moving over time that my brain actually moves stuff to the other side of the brain. So my tumor, do you want me to talk about how I was diagnosed? Because I don't yes, know. Please. Like, yes, sure. Yes, okay. Please. So I'll actually, I'm used to telling everyone I'll Otherwise, I'll ramble. No, you can, you can go all out. Uh, you can just go <laughs> okay. all out. I'm, I'm here to listen to you. Awesome. This reason why we're having this conversation is here to listen to you. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll tell you my diagnosis. I feel like that's pretty important, too. Um, yeah. I'm pretty, I have a pretty good 
uh, wheel on that. Um, in December 20, not December, no, there we go, making stuff up. In July 2016, <laughs> I uh, went to the gym, I went to work, I went on my lunch break, I walked, I walked my lunch break, I'd get coffee and I chat with the baristas and um, I suddenly felt nauseous, which is weird because I don't feel nauseous very, I don't get sick very often. So I just felt really weird. And I put my head down like that on the counter. The next mm-hmm. thing I know, I'm on the floor. And um, there's okay. EMS and I have someone's shirt under my head. Okay. It was weird too, because people were still drinking coffee and chatting and having their meetings right around me. But I'm on the floor with EMS asking me questions. I was really embarrassed. I thought okay. I fainted. I thought I maybe just had, I tend to over-caffeinate mm. myself <laughs> a lot. And I just <laughs> figured I was dehydrated and maybe over-caffeinated and I fainted. Okay. So I was embarrassed. I got up, felt I, I hit my head. So I had had a concussion. I didn't know that then. Mm-hmm. I just knew I wanted to get back to work because I didn't want my office to worry. I was embarrassed. And they're like, nope, you have to go, you have to, go to the hospital. We have to, it, you either had a stroke or a seizure. And we have to have you checked out. And I was like laughing. I thought I was like, this is ridiculous. I just fainted. You were laughing? Well, no, I didn't faint. <laughs> um, it uh. was a seizure. <laughs> It, okay. And they found a brain tumor and I, you'd, you'd think that that would be more, I think it was, it was actually a blessing to be kind of out of it and have a concussion because I wasn't as shocked or horrified as I thought I would be. But I just remember mm-hmm. that EMS doctor coming up to me and very somberly because he didn't know, they don't know what that was and they knew it was a tumor, but it could have been GBM. It could have been, and I might've needed an emergency surgery. Um, I'm glad I didn't have emergency surgery. It's not the hospital I would have wanted to have my surgery. Not that it's a bad hospital. I just, it's not known for its brain surgery. Yeah. 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 Um, so they, they were worried that it, you know, I needed an emergency surgery, but after, um, doing that MRI, they determined it looked, it wasn't on anything, you know, pressing, it wasn't doing anything too crazy. I needed a surgery soon, but I didn't need it like that day. So I got to shop around and then I, um, I did a lot of testing because I'm left-handed and my tumor is in my left temporal lobe and it's in my deep left temporal lobe too. So that changes things a little bit more. And I had such a great, um, surgeon. She did a lot. I had a lot of tests. I had some tests that are actually pretty, I, most people I know don't have to get it. Um, epilepsy patients get the WADA test. I know. And I had that test. Um, I only know one other person who's had a WADA. I thought it was fun. I would do it again <laughs> if it weren't, you know, such a high risk for stroke. I would do it again because they shut off one side of your brain, ask oh. you questions, okay. and shut off the other side of the brain, ask you questions. And I had a good old time. I thought that was fun. I had <laughs> neuropsych exams. Um, I was hoping they'd find out I was like a secret genius, but because mm. they do your IQ, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, they were very excited to tell me before my craniotomy. And then last year I had it done again, just out of curiosity, because I wanted to know okay. how my brain has changed. And I still have a perfectly average IQ. And they were excited to tell me that. I was sad, but mm. I, I guess I guess I should be happy. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so... So that was July 2016 when I found out I had a brain tumor and I 
had brain surgery. I had my craniotomy in October, 2016. So I had some time. I had a great surgeon in Detroit. She's amazing. And you don't hear a lot about female surgeons. Um, it's a big deal. She is amazing. The (laughs) temporal lobe is her specialty. She deals a lot with epilepsy patients too. Um, yeah, rightly fell into her arms. I, yeah, I just love her. She was amazing and, uh, she's great. And, uh, my surgery went really well. It was, I recovered really quickly. Um, I, so I, but they don't tell you like, cause they don't know immediately. So they take this, you know, and they, I had that, they removed as much as possible. Obviously okay. with brain tumors, they can't remove like with brain cancer and specifically tumors. Yes. But most of the time I think, but cancer, like with mine, it has tendrils. So right. they can't, they can't just like, swoop it all out you know they can say we got most of it 99 percent. but with mine it wasn't even like that it was probably close to that like second best you know because I didn't want to lose all my speech and I you know and I didn't want to lose my memory you know I you don't want to like dig nobody something. wants that nobody wants best that. quality of life that's what you want exactly exactly so it was a successful surgery I healed really well she told me I remember her telling me right after surgery she's like you're going to have some, I mean, it's weird. They would even know that she's like, you're going to have name the uh, problem with names. And I, or she, she, she warned me. And I just thought that was crazy. Like I do, I can't remember any new names right away. I have to, they have to become long-term memory before I can remember a name. Yeah. Okay. Or if I've gone too long without using a name or remembering a name, like even yes. if it's someone I've known since birth, I won't remember it. Yeah. Um, so it's about, it was about 10 to 12 or days later, maybe it was two weeks. I don't know. I was hoping I would know right away. I thought I didn't understand. And I don't, I think it's pretty common to a, you know, to not understand that, um, a glioma is not like specific. It's, <laughs> I knew I had a glioma. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be fine. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a benign. I just assumed it was a benign tumor because surely cancer is like really bad and you'd know it. Uh-huh. Um, I had, I was diagnosed with anaplastic astrocytoma, which is a grade three or a mm. junior glioblastoma. I always call it a junior glioblastoma because people have at least heard of a glioblastoma most of the time. Um, I just, and the funny thing is my whole life, I was a hypochondriac. I thought I always had something. I was always trying to take a med. I was on Benadryl and probably why I haven't had a brain tumor to begin with. My mom had me on Benadryl most of my life. I probably had brain cancer because of Benadryl. Um, <laughs> I don't know that that's a thing or not, but I know you're not supposed to have as much Benadryl as I took. I think it's because I talked so much as a child and my mom was <laughs> older and tired and I, she just wanted to shut me up. <laughs> she put me to sleep with Benadryl. Um, but my whole life, I was a hypochondriac and I never had anything wrong with me. I never once, never once suspected brain cancer. Never once. Anything but brain cancer. And I remember thinking, this is about 10 years ago, the worst thing I could imagine, because I had another cousin on another side of the family who was uh, at, at six years old, passed away from medulloblastoma. I think that's what he had. He was five years old, medulloblastoma, I think. I could be wrong. It's one of the blastomas in the brain. Yeah. And I remember him passing away and being like, I cannot imagine anything more awful than brain cancer. Well, 
Look at I you. I felt fine. I've, I felt fine and I have it now. I'm like, it's. I mean, it's, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm laughing now because even my treatment, even people with less severe cancers, which sounds horrible because all cancers are horrible, but like, a lo- like, um, and that's another thing people don't, I know I didn't understand grading versus staging. You know, because sometimes people be like, I have a stage four brain cancer, glioblastoma. I'm like, no, you don't have a stage four. Stage four is completely different. It's like, I love telling people like, it's not a hundred percent all the time, but brain cancers can't go down, but Mm -hmm. other cancers can go up. Granted, if you have a brain cancer, like on like back here that can travel down, but it's not as common. It's not like common. So grading. And grading versus staging was a big thing to learn. It's a rare situation. It's, 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 and I just was, I remember getting my diagnosis. I love my neuro-oncologist. He's amazing. And he's a year younger than me, which was the first time I had a doctor that was younger than me. And that blew my mind. <laughs> I, um, I was like, this isn't weird. Um, we also used to nickname him the hot doctor. <laughs> he's married and has children and none of us, and I have a long-term boy. It's none of us all of us are in happy relationships. It's just that a lot of us have name problems too with memory. So you'd be like the hot doctor. I have the hot doctor. That but, you remember. Um, that's, <laughs> I, unfortunately to the way I remember people with names, if I can't remember their names, I remember them by the most like politically incorrect, like way of having to remember people. I, I, I'll be, I'll be like the guy with the stutter. You know, oh like I'll remember God. people or the guy with the, with the hunched over stutter and the cane. I'm like, I'm sure that's not how he wants to be remembered, but that's like, yeah. you know? <laughs> but when he called, he called me about two weeks after my surgery. Um, and that was the first time I met him. And, uh, it's like, well, you have an anaplastic astrocytoma, which is a grade three. And I just didn't know what any of that meant. I just knew it was bad because I didn't. Mm. I think they all, they kind of have some idea, but they're not going to tell you ahead of time um, to panic you before you have to heal from surgery. I know you probably will heal better if you just don't have that extra anxiety and worry. So like, if you think you're, you're going to be fine and you'll do well with your surgery, you know, but I, think I mean, the, a, the mind plays a very important role. Yeah. So they didn't want to tell you what they, and plus they don't want to be wrong. What if they tell you, Oh, we think you have a really low grade, um, tumor and we think we'll be able to get it all and you know to get to, if they tell you all that stuff right away and then they find out oh boy it's uh it's <laughs> gbm and uh we're sorry we gave for our, yeah we gave yeah, our wrong information hopes up or hopes down in advance i didn't know what any of that meant i was so scared because i didn't think i would have to do chemo or radiation like i had no i just assumed i'd be fine and i wouldn't have to deal with any of that stuff and i remember asking him he's like you can come by the hospital one of the other offices you can come to west bloomfield and i'll talk to you and i'll tell you you know make sure you have i couldn't drive because of the seizures it's like you know i'm here all day come by anytime and i will tell you he i i go okay well i'm gonna hang up now i hung up the phone my mom was sitting in the car in the driveway she we were about to go out for lunch when he called and i was like hold on mom i gotta take this call my poor mom, she's like, was in her late seventies then at that point, And she's sitting in the car and I, after hanging up the phone with him, I get out on the porch and I just started screaming, which is not a me thing. I just started shriek, like screaming. And she was so startled. She couldn't drive. We had to call my boyfriend home from work to drive us all 
which is great because he listens and understands things by me and my mom were a little too panicked at that point. Yeah. Um, I can imagine. I can only imagine. That was, that was a horrible, like life changing kind of moment, but I was okay after that diagnosis. Like I was okay. I actually had a really interesting story way back. My, my mind is always doing like jumping all over, but um, please be my guest. <laughs> when I when I found out I had a brain tumor and I'm in that MRI machine that first time before we knew what kind of brain tumor was in there before we knew anything but the night the day I had the seizure and fell off the bar stool and I had to wait you know like at 12 hours to get in that MRI I'm in that MRI machine for the first time in my life and I'm kind of in and out of it because of the concussion but I remember thinking having this very spiritual moment. I'm not a very religious person. I'm not, I'm not someone who believes, but I'm not someone who doesn't believe. I'm sort of like, as raised Roman Catholic, I'm, but I'm just sort of floating about, you know, right. Yeah. But I remember being in that MRI machine and I felt this very otherworldly sort of experience, which was you have a path. Like you can pick it. There's, it goes like this, you know, right now, your life right now. Neither is right and neither is wrong. You have, you have choices. You can go this way or you can go this way. You know, and the one way is understandable to panic and freak out and um, be unhappy. Because I had been struggling with a lot of depression and, you know, like feeling like a failure at a lot of different parts of my life. Married, divorced, in my 20s, you know, debt, bad jobs, unhappiness. You know, I just felt like that a lot. But then the other side was, well, you embrace it because you can't. You're not going to get rid of this tumor just with positive thinking or negative thinking and nothing. It's not, you're going to have to deal with this regardless, but it's, you do have a choice. You can choose to embrace it and move with it and make it yours. You know, like you've got, you really, it's really time for you to like choose how you're going to take your life. And, take it as I it choose. comes. Take it as it comes. Yeah. One day at a time. Embrace it. It's weird to embrace a cancer. Like that sounds stupid, but it's like it's in me. I might as well. We might as well be buddies if we have to have deal with each other. I mean, I don't want to be its friend, but I mean, it's a roommate anyway. It lives in there. Yeah. So it's a nice way to think about it. I chose that route. Yeah. And I very consciously chose that, which doesn't mean it wasn't. It was an easy choice from there on out. Like that moment screaming on the porch. Mm. I had a moment where you're like, okay. Okay, so after that moment, after that diagnosis, my the neuro oncologist he totally like helped so much. Like he answered questions, he calmed me down. I didn't feel like I was at death's door right that minute. You know, I still, I'm someone who's always conscious of understanding that death is a part of life. I've always been like that. It was a weird little kid that was always into like stories, near death experiences, and people who would like have their heart stop. Back, I always just thought that was interesting as a kid. But even now, I'm like, okay, well, for me to be okay with my diagnosis means understanding that death is a thing that's going to happen, not necessarily from cancer, but at some point in everyone's life, it's something we're all going to do. So yeah. I just get myself at peace with that. And, um, but I never felt like after talking to my neuro-oncologist, I had a lot of hope and a lot of like, oh, you know, like I remember sometimes I'll tell people with a different grading of a tumor, like an oligodendroglioma, they'll be like, well, you have like the good one. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. Like monsters. <laughs> and then their mind is like, mine is, the, is, well, yours isn't 
the best one and it's not the worst one. It's kind of in the middle. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, it really over time, it's sort of, you find out that grading and t- isn't really as important sometimes as location and uh, operability and yeah, very he- general health age. It, it sometimes it doesn't even matter. Like some people will have a benign tumor in their brain. They're in a wheelchair. And I feel so, I'm like, it's, it just doesn't seem fair. It's like, it, it, it doesn't, it just does. And, and then you realize that life isn't fair anyway. And, and you're learning how to just be okay with, you, you didn't deserve this, but it doesn't mean you can't roll with it either. I don't know. I'm kind of, I had no purpose until I had brain cancer. And now I have all this purpose in the world. So it's hard to be, I'm lucky. I feel fine. Cause a lot of people are like, oh, well you, are you are you healed are you all better I'm like no that's the hard thing to tell people is so the brain is look at you look at you yeah like I'm doing great yeah Yeah. you do you look at your attitude look at the way you just smiled at me and the positivity just came (laughs) through I was looking at you and I'm like oh my god she's so full of positivity already (laughs) I was looking at like Okay, I went through your pictures on Facebook and I was like, okay, okay, so this is the person I'm going to be interviewing. Okay. And then I see you and then you're smiling. (laughs) That's the weirdest thing. It's hard. And it's been the taking things in perspective has really changed for me. Like, which is not to say I have bad days a lot and I'm a grumpy person. I'm Mm -hmm. whiny. I'm the baby. I'm a spoiled brat. You know, like I just, I'm still a grown child. I'm like, I'll be 40 next month. And yet I feel like I'm about 22 years old. I still try <laughs> to talk to my nieces and my nephew in college. Like I think that I'm closer in age to them than their parents. And um, that's not true, but emotionally, I feel like I'm still at that level, like where I'm still a kid. Um, I get what you're I've, saying. But I've had a lot of like bad stuff happen. And after my diagnosis, um, less than a year later, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And then she passed away. And then her sister, shortly after my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, her sister was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. My aunt, Mm -hmm. they both passed away um, within my aunt qualified for the Whipple, Mm. which was a successful surgery. But once you get to a certain age and maybe your health isn't so great, I I don't know that I would. I mean, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day, but. (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes in here, I think in the U.S. too, we're just so eager to want to like try to fix. And it's like sometimes just accepting and, and you know, like making that choice without putting the, think more about that quality of life. Yeah. But some people will do great with that whipple. I know a lot of people actually who do, um, you know, younger people who tend to do pretty well with it. It's just losing. I mean, I just, my mom was the person I was closest to in my family and she was always taking care of me and always sort of like the person I looked up to or asked for advice, need to help with. And suddenly we're, we're sick together. So we, you know, she was doing chemo. I was doing chemo. You're at the same hospital. Um, she, she lost a, a lot of weight. I got really heavy from all the steroids I was on. So we had some funny pictures. Um, both we're going through it and, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, what comes next, you know, I'm, it it was an interesting time. It just seemed like a lot of bad stuff. If you look at things from the wrong or a 
perspective, from a different yeah. perspective. It was a devastating time. Yeah. Um, but I don't choose to look at it like that. We we're all, I, I don't know. I just, I mean, she's, if you, if you ask me, I'll say she's raised you up that way. She, she did. She was always quirky and she was okay. Like I used to, I remember as a small child, maybe nine or 10 years old, I used to ride my bicycle everywhere. And, um, I loved reading, reading. I was a big dork. Um, not one of the cool kids. And I was a little kid that would ride my bike to the library, ride my bike to the library to, to read books and not normal books. Like I read normal books too. Cause I liked reading. I read like little kid books and uh-huh. mysteries and ghost books. But I also, uh, there was one time I rode my bike to the library and I wanted to take out about six books on near death experiences. This is a, like a 10 year old taking a bunch of not like books out on near death experiences from like the sciencey aisle. I don't know. And curious. The lady at the You're desk, just curious. I did. I had always been curious. And um, librarians, like, they think they thought I wanted to hurt myself or was suicidal, you know, so she called my mom. I'm a kid and she called. She's like, is it okay that your daughter is getting all these books on like death and dying and your death experience? Is this okay? My mom's like, she's reading, isn't she? (laughs) Like, like, it's fine. She's always been interested in that stuff. Yes. So I, they, I did have to, they did have to call my mom to make sure that it was okay that I was reading what I was reading. Mm. But yeah, I've always been into that kind of stuff. Um, but if you, if, if you ask me again, I'm sorry. Don't worry. If you ask me again, uh, I would say that um, it takes a lot to have to see your mom as well as yourself be in the same hospital, go through the same thing again and again and again. And well, the weird thing is, is that at that moment, I was like, I knew that she, knowing what I know now, right? she was scared for the first time in her life. She would never admit it. Hmm. But she also knew that she felt terrible. She, she didn't really, she used to be the person who could listen at the doctor's office and used to be the one with the questions. And I think she was even at nursing school or wanted to be um, in nursing school in the 60s, you know, the 1960s. And she didn't because of fam- she had family and my dad and whatnot. But she was always the person who was like on top of things, taking notes. But at that part of her life, she was just starting, you know, she's getting up in age and she was starting, her health was failing and she didn't really want to know. And that was... She didn't really want to know, and neither did her sister, much about their diagnosis. They didn't know, didn't want to know. It was pretty clear once that when she wasn't qualifying for the Whipple surgery, that meant that she had Mets, which meant that it was in, for her, it was in her liver. They weren't going to do it, not because she didn't need it or whatever, but because it wasn't a good prognosis. She, she was going to die. Um, but she didn't ask any of that stuff. I'm kind of glad she didn't. I just wish we, I had knew, like, they both, I think, had blood clots in their, and they just were, I just, that's one thing about that cancer, just the pain that people were, are in so much pain, but don't, are kind of accustomed to it. So they don't know one pain from the next pain. What's a blood clot pain from a normal pain that you feel every day? Um, and when you're on such high anti-pain, or, 
yeah, like pain meds that you don't even know the difference. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it makes sense. I just felt, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's super, super interesting in any case that I suddenly had to, was like, well, I want to cheer her up as opposed to always needing my mom to make me feel better when I would have like horrible pain, which I only had horrible pain when we found out, we found out of humans. So I had the, so with my brain tumor, I, they kind of treat it like it's an aggressive glioblastoma, even though it's a lower grade because they want to kind of nip it in the bud. I, they treat it real aggressively. So I had max radiation. Hmm. I, then I, you know, they give you, and they gave me a little bit of my chemo. So they, I took Temidar and had my radiation. And then I had a little break to recover from that. And then I did a year of Temidar, which is the pill form of chemo, the chemo. Chemo in which itself is, 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 is such a rough experience. I can only imagine what this would have been. <laughs> well, and the weird thing is, is I didn't, I thought it was all going to be so much worse. Mm. And it, it really, I thought the radiation ultimately, like, probably made me feel the worst short term. Yeah. And then the chemo over the course of a year. It's funny because it's not just that first dose. And it's not for, for me, it was five days every month, you know, five days every month of these chemos. But, and it, it took me a few months to even realize that it, you don't feel the pain, like you don't feel the icky right away. Like it, it would be on the, the day after I was done with my chemo that I would feel the worst, those like two or three days after. But um, it turned out I was allergic to it. So I actually had to go, but I would, I didn't know that. You were allergic I, to? The Temidar, they, the Temozolomide, they, so a few months in, I, I used to go to my mom's house and, and like leave our house here. And I would, cause I just needed someone to kind of take care of me. Cause I would feel like, I felt really like when I would take the pills, I would um, like be in so much pain for just like maybe 10 minutes. It would be in like excruciating pain, which I'm not used to pain. I'm a big baby anyway, but it would be like such excruciating pain where like my mom would just kind of like hold on to me for like 10. I could be standing. It'd be fine, but just being excruciating. And then it would go away. And then I would have like a fever, but it would go away. And then I would have chills and it would go away, but it would be like, I'd be like, I, or I'd like bundle myself up and then Kind of like if you have a fever or a flu and then you throw all your clothes off, mm. that would be me for like the first day and then I'd be fine. But I just mm-hmm. thought that was what everybody went through. I didn't expect chemo to be, and it wasn't that bad, you know, cause it was quick, it, that feeling. But then on the, by the third or fourth month, I, 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 and I love these, this app, these apps we have here now, which like the, my chart app where I can um, talk to my doctors, I can send them emails, ask questions, see my temperature, see all this stuff, whatever. Um, see my brain, see like anything, like I can just look at it. But I remember that's how I would talk to my nurses. And I, I remember laughing. I go, look, I found a hive on my arm. It looks like a heart. And I took a picture of the heart on my like arm and I sent it to them. They're like, that's not normal. When did this show up? I'm like, oh, like the day after, you know, chemo. She's like, okay, how long have you been getting this? I'm like, she's like, did you take Benadryl? Did it help? I'm like, no, I took Benadryl. Like I took Benadryl after they told me to and they're like, they're like, are you, do you have a temperature? I'm like, no, but it turned out I, I did have an allergy to the chemo. So I had to do a new protocol, which I still took the chemo, but I had to do a slow dosing and very rare. Most people don't have to do that. Mm. Um, I don't think, I mean, what do I know? It might've been fine over time, but I had to do it. So my protocol was a little different than your normal Astro 3 Temidar okay. person. 
Okay. But it was still the same chemo. I just had, I so the first three days of every cycle from there on out, I would go to the hospital like every other cancer patient. And I would take my, I still didn't get it like injected like other cancer patients, but I just had to, I'd be the first one in the cancer ward, the last one out because I'd be there for like eight hours and they would slow it every half hour. I'd get a little more. Okay. I had, like they put a drop on my tongue and then a half hour later, two drops on my tongue, half Mm -hmm. hour later, three drops on my drug. Then a half an hour later, a tablespoon, half an hour later. It just kept, you know, it kept on going like that. As opposed to just taking the two pills. Straight away. Yeah. Yeah. They would just slow dose. And then by the fourth day, I could just take the pills. Um, And then I could, and then for the last few months, I was able to, I still had to slow dose it, but it was in pill format. So I would take uh, one pill at eight in the morning, one pill at eight 30. And then I would do that till about 1 PM or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, it was just, but I still, I didn't feel that bad, but compared to what my mom was going through, I, but we would, I would try to have to be brave for her. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, chemo, that's no fun, you know, but, and it isn't, but it, it wasn't as bad as I felt like what she was going through. I understand. Um, I really do. It made me have to be a little bit braver and have to be a bit of a grown up for the first time in my life. Um, <laughs> and from then on out, I, I, you know, like, again, you could look at it as the worst couple years of your life, you know, or all these people I get to meet and help, which I never got to do before. I didn't have exactly. just a, a, like a lost, a lost animal. That's what I felt like. I mean, I have a great boyfriend. I've had him for over 10 years now, but, wow. um, but I, I still like, didn't like my job, which is a, a family business. I, I worked at, I just didn't like it. I mean, working for your your own father is difficult anyway. Everyone thinks there's some kind of great benefit to working for your father. Like, oh, you must get such great vacation time and great pay. No. No. You get minimum wage. You don't (laughs) get vacation time. He goes, and you're in charge. Like, but you don't get paid like you're some kind of VP or anything. No, you you just, oh, and if you take a day off, you get your dad going, well, why? but <laughs> I was, just, I didn't, it, it was, it's a, it's an optical business yeah. it, lens selling lenses. It's not, it's not my dream come true. And, mm. and I, you know, I just fell into it after my own life disasters in my twenties. So I just slid into it. I mm. used to live in Los Angeles. I used to kind of try to do things I love, but you know, various bad choices led me back home, mm. um, which is better. I'm happy here. Now, but. Yeah. Oh, that's my neighbor. Never mind. That was my okay. boyfriend saying, "You're talking too loud." But, <laughs> but I, I love the fact that you've come back home and you're building up your life in such a different way. It's, it's such an inspiration. Because if you ask me, you've been going through this journey. You've been doing whatever you have to do. You had a certain lifestyle before it. You had a certain lifestyle while going through it, and now you're having a certain lifestyle after it. I and I'm much like. I constantly try to remind myself that, and people sometimes get a little uncomfortable and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I love when people ask me questions about diagnosis, but I will will tell them we expect it to return. It will return. Like, I mean, I can hope that it won't, but I I don't even pray. I don't pray to God to cure me because that would be just like me. That's unfair for all the other millions of people who 
just right. help me get through this. Help me do the best I can and, and, and be brave and be strong and help people. But I don't, I don't even, I don't think I, I remember people, I would be involved in various give talks or whatever, in various groups. And some people come up, I'm praying for you. And I'm like, thank you. You know, like, oh, I feel like. I mean, that's their way of being gracious being towards to, you. And I remember telling like, you know, like, I think, I feel like it's all right that this happened to me and not someone else. You know, I, I I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grateful because I'm happy. I was now. just coming to that. I was just coming towards <laughs> gratitude. And there you brought it. You just brought I'm ha- it. I'm happy because I feel well. It's easy right now because I feel well. I'm actually lifting heavier weights now than I was before my diagnosis. I am because um. of the location in my brain. That's what a lot of people have a hard time with is brains are weird. They're interesting. Every, every, just by an inch, an inch can make a world of difference here, there. My physical mobility is not at all. Like I, I don't, I, I actually, I tried to, I was training for a half marathon during my chemo. I decided I was doing a half marathon and I decided not to run it because I'm in Metro Detroit. It's and it. The race was in, I think October is October. They usually do it. Hmm. And it was cold and rainy. And I'm like, I'm not, I was not feeling super either. So I was like, maybe not the best day to run. So I didn't run it, but I had been training. Um, so I, I, even now I, I I go, I look, we're all kind of stuck at home because of the, the COVID. COVID. Yeah. Same here. Same here. I don't, but I don't lock myself in the house. I still go, I go on long walks. I go, which I didn't, I remember being a bit of a snob, you know, thinking it doesn't count if I'm walking, I have to run it. Well, guess what? I'm doing, I'm in better shape now and going on long walks than I was running. I completely um, understand because I'm a runner myself. So, <laughs> and even now, like, but the thing is, is because I'm so active, I do high intensity interval training with like boot camp classes. I don't do it as much because I like lifting and, hmm. um, you know, doing a lot of strength training. Yeah. And I didn't realize I could do a lot of that from my own basement. Hmm. Um, my boyfriend just sent me a note, so I'm like reading it. He's telling me about the dog's butt. So that one <laughs> dog is licking the other dog's butt. So I have to deal with that. <laughs> um, but <other> than <laughs> he's that, also like, a dog person. He, uh, he is. And he's, work, he's working at home, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, but we're all, you know, everything's changing right now for everyone. And I feel like as a cancer patient, it's kind of my responsibility right now to know, like, kind of realize that a lot of people are kind of coming into these, this hard change of like, wait, what? Everyone wants everything to go back to normal. And it's like, I don't think things are ever going to be normal for you in the same way they were before again. And that's okay. And that's a hard thing for people. Like it's okay. You know, we always have to change and evolve with time anyway. So hmm. that's kind of where this, I am uh, even with COVID. Yeah. The COVID just catalysted the whole thing, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, people just want to get angry and blame, and blame everyone. And, and, and it's like silly. It's like, there's always going to be something coming along. I mean, and I can see myself have panicking, been panicking too, but it's like, you still got to live your life. Just be cautious and, and do what you can to take care of yourself and be healthy. But as a cancer patient, I, you know, like when you have, like I would, my lymphocytes would always get really low to the point where I would have a delay in my chemo. Hmm. Um, and you, so, you know, you don't really want you to go out in crowds or being around because you're some people. 
but I still went out and did things. I still like would meet up a friend for coffee. Just got to be more careful than your average person. So yeah. Have it. It's, yeah. It's interesting. And it's really and like, how, how your family has supported you in every way. Like, I mean, the caregivers, not just at the hospital, but at home. That's I mean, the support system is just 100%. I would say my sisters live on the West Coast, so they would fly in every now and then. Um, they weren't there for my surgery. My mom was there. My dad worked. He's a little bit more frat, which is weird because you always want to think that men are the strongest. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they handle things differently. My boyfriend was amazing and he still is like he knows more about some things than he'll go to my doctor's appointment and like memorize things. whereas. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I heard something. He's like, no, that's not. Like, but um, yeah, mean, my dad isn't. They're supportive in their own ways. Like my family can't. They had their own kids on the West Coast. They they would fly out when they when they could. Yeah, they're supportive in their own ways. Um, my one of my sisters is really into holistic dieting and holistic foods, but she won't gotten into that because. I think it's that feeling of being out of control with my health, my mom's health, my aunt's health, and, and, and watching this whole thing happen. So people were like try to cope in their own way, so control what they can. So um, mm. she's more into like holistic things. So I'm always like, hey, what's this? What do you think, turmeric or uh, this? You know, and she's like turmeric, yeah, X, Y, and Z. I mean, I wouldn't use it as an alternative to my treatment mm. but in addition to you know mm. um the whole what do you think this entire this entire journey has taught you like how much has it changed your life that we heard we know but how what are the lessons you're going to take from it the, what would you the like? lessons i would take away from this is well um don't like live your life right now and enjoy it like love it even if it's i mean it's easy for me to say when things are good, but even when things are bad. So one thing I, I started doing, which is weird because I was raised Roman Catholic, but I'm not very, I'm not a particularly religious, which, but I do believe in something and I believe it's something bigger than me um, only because I just, I feel it. And um, I just started saying every night starting from my diagnosis on, I would just say, even if it was a bad day, I'd say, thank you God for today. Thank you for today. Okay. And I would just say that every single night and I still do it now. Yeah. And even, even on the days my mom, even on the day my mom died, like it's, and, but it, it becomes a part of me and it's just how I go with my thinking. You I know, mean, like that's the day. way you cope. That's what I would say. It's the and, way. And, you... and it, it, it's the way I cope, but it also, it like seems to help in a really deep yeah. way. Like, I still feel, I still have negative feelings. I still am scared all the time. I'm terrified of my, my expected reoccurrence, but I'm also like, okay, okay, feel it, feel the feeling. You're feeling the feeling, feeling it, feeling it. But then after a while of this practice, you realize, well, okay, I'm feeling all the feeling. <laughs> what am I going to do with this now? Like, I, there's no point, like I'm feeling it. I felt it. Let's time to just do something else. And it, it's helped me um, a lot. It doesn't make things go away, but it, you just realize that 
there's only so much you can control. So there's only so much you can control. Yeah. You can only control the, this immediate you, you know, Yeah. (laughs) if you're in charge of that, (laughs) I mean, I'm still, there's so many people who's like, who can go through so much and come on. I, I, I'm never going to be a rock star or a hero in any other way, but I'm like, if there's one small thing I can be, be a rock star, be like a superhero, I'm going to try to do it with this, you know, like you can help. Definitely, definitely being that you're definitely being that because with the way you're going to inspire people with your journey, it's just, I don't know. So many people are going to take, you're not just going through it. You've, you've gone through it. You've seen the other side and now you're doing something with it. That, so, it, so that's hard not to look at it as a gift in a really kind of weird way. And um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I've taken the thing. It's I'm lucky because a lot of people can't. And so I do a, like, I have to say, cause a lot of people can't who have what I have. Okay. Um, due to location, they have other deficits. They have other things that aren't problems, you know, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I'm choosing to look at it as a gift because I can and I'll roll with it. And I'm meeting so many awesome people. It's yeah, hard. I feel like I have a whole thing of friends and new people. Like I did, hey, I just met you today. And it's, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. And the positivity is just, it's just contagious. Let me just say that. Oh, Your good. positivity that makes me happy. <laughs> is very contagious. Your smile, especially. <laughs> just, <laughs> I must say that. Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to know how was your first reaction when you got that report back saying that you were, I mean, not cancer free, but still you stable. were stable. Yeah. So that call, the well, I bet I had I have been stable ever since. Um I don't know when they decide you're stable. Like, is it after the radiation, after the surgery or after it? But I've been stable. There's no changes visible at this time. It could happen at any time. They might Mm. see a little new flare. I, Mm. but I went from every, going every three months to get an MRI to now I'm extended to every four months. And I think from that, I'll go to every six months. Mm. Um, And it's weird too, like having, been an at like kind of a bad athlete but an athlete just the same I played ice hockey and I played all the high school sports I was good at tennis as a kid but like always a little chunky so you know like <laughs> always had that issue um okay but like I I had symptoms going back to probably when I was in college still like that's how slow moving it might have even been there benign before that but um we really don't know but we i do know now what a seizure is not like in movies in movies you see a seizure and people are like doing that shaking no i mean yeah that can happen grand like what grand mal seizures but i know for a fact now that i had a seizure in 2006 Mm. i know that i had a seizure in 2007 I had double vision for a hot minute in about 2009. Okay. I had major mood problems, like in personality kind of issues going on in my, all during time from my college years in my early twenties. Hmm. And then it would go like be fine, but then there would be depression again. And I just thought it was me, you know, like being like, Oh, I'm just going through hard times. Or it was just this breakup or that breakup. Or, it's an or experience. I, just I feel. Such yeah, an experience. Like that's, it's, 
Yeah, like, it's, it's really interesting. And I feel like if anyone ever is like randomly, I never fainted in my life. That I was fainting suddenly a lot in my tw- in my late mid to late twenties, um, for like no reason. Um, I mean, what were your thinking, words words of wisdom? I was always like trying to take some kind of diet pill or caffeine pills because you know, like I always wanted to be leaner, you know, without actually having to like do the workout. Diet. I yeah. just wanted to not be hungry, and I didn't work out as much in my twenties as I did in my thirties, mm. um, and. Uh, I just assumed it was always that kind of thing. I remember my, I work in optical. That's the crazy thing. And I remember um, I was driving because I used to be on the road for work as a, kind of like a salesperson and uh, laughing, calling my um, ophthalmologist laughing because I go, I have double vision. He's like, you need to come in here. That is not normal. (laughs) He goes, that could be a brain tumor. I laughed at him. He actually go, said oh. that? Yeah, he told me it could be a brain tumor. And I, I go, oh, well, I'm feeling better now. Uh, when's your, like, uh, can I come see you next week? And by then, my symptom was gone. Um, and mm. I never had it again. But it's just funny that it, I could have been done. Granted, things happen. Yeah, these things yeah, happen. Treatment hasn't changed a whole lot since then. And maybe only gotten a little better. The only thing is, I wonder is if I had my resection then, would it have been in a more operable region? Could they have received? remove more of it but if they they might have put me on the pcb form of treatment that i you know i but it's not worth thinking about i also was in a really bad place mentally at that point so anyway wouldn't have been the same perspective then Mm. anyway it's about yeah sorry Mm. over talking no 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 you're not you know i just a sudden question came up so then i just okay you go on i am not i can't even remember what i was about to say no worries (laughs) yeah anyway i just wanted to ask you what are your words of wisdom to a person who's grappling with this right now say for example they're watching this and they want to see oh my god look at this person she's become so much more than what the disease is like she's doing she's nailing it if you ask me what would you like to say to all of them out there watching this video any new the sorry the sound kind of dipped for me a little bit so what would I say to anybody newly diagnosed kind of a thing? Yeah. I would say, gosh. Just, just diagnosed, but they're, they're not dealing with it well. They're, they're make, not- if they're not dealing with it well, I would say get involved in an organization where you can talk one-on-one with someone. Um, not every group chat is going to be the right chat. I would say there's actually on Twitter too, there's a... a a monthly chat and that group actually helped me it's not like it's not an organization it's just like a hashtag btsm which is brain, brain tumor social media and i would say they had the biggest impact because i'm really active on social media mm-hmm. and um it's just a you know people come in every sunday you know they're on the pacific uh pacific time but um it's a little late for me but I do it but I, you know if you just use that hashtag BTSM too, you can ask questions and people will answer it. But I remember that those are the people that kind of got me involved. So try to meet people, but like if your hospital has a group, yeah, go to that. Um, but sometimes those can be a little hard. Mm. Um, but I say you had to find, find someone, just find someone, Google, like, or not Google, I guess Googling your own diagnosis is like the worst idea ever when you're first diagnosed. Don't do that if you don't, <laughs> you're not 
ready to read the worst possible thing. But I would say find someone. Find someone or find a group. If, what, no matter what kind of group. Like there's your, it sounds like your group too. I, yeah. I don't know. Or the Immerman Angels. Just find a group where like you could interact with someone who's been where you are. Yeah. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? It really makes all the difference because from there on out, you can just, they can, they can help find more people. You don't feel alone. Not feeling alone is probably because you're not alone. And even if when you have a rare cancer, you are not alone. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Thank really you so don't. much for this. I mean, it's been such a great pleasure talking to you. And Again, that smile is contagious, I must say. <laughs> Thank you. You made me so happy watching your smile, too. <laughs> Thank you awesome. so much. It's been an honor. It really has been an honor. Let me say that. Yeah. Well, and let me get, this, you know, shoot me an email. You guys can shoot me an email or any other, if you have any other questions or you need anything else, just give me a holler. Yes, I will do that. I will do that. It's been a pleasure. Let me just say that first. And what you do, what you've been through, I, it is so inspiring for me. And I must say, the people who are going to watch this are going to be like, no, I want to be like her. I want to be like her. And anyone, people can, you know, even anyone who might watch this can feel free to message me or contact me on Facebook or Twitter, Twitter, whatever, if they can find Pretty soon with all of that. I will be sending you a mail pretty soon. Thank you so much, Molly. Thank Thank you so much. Have a good one. Take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. (laughs) <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> yes.